Welcome to the Water People Podcast. I'm Lauren Hill, and our co-host is Dave Rastovich. Prior to the start of our third season, we sat down with our sound engineer, Shannon Sol Carroll, to recalibrate on the whys of making a podcast at all, and some of the themes that have begun to emerge amongst the 21 episodes of season three, including the first episode this season with filmmaker and entrepreneur Cyrus Sutton, who we mention only by first name here in our chat. Just a note about audio in this episode, we were sitting under a beautiful casuarina tree that was filled with birds. We do our best not to record in studios whenever possible, so we're able to include the soundscape of the living world around us, but sometimes that makes for kind of wild audio. We appreciate your patience there, and thanks so much for joining us for season three. Our podcast comes to you from the coastal land and waters of both the Bundjalung and Gubby Gubby nations. We'd like to acknowledge these traditional custodians and pay respects to elders past, present, and emerging. We'd also like to extend that respect to all First Nations people this podcast ripples out toward. Welcome to the start of our third season of the Water People podcast. Shannon, Dave, and I are currently sitting underneath a beautiful casuarina tree off the east coast of Australia. You can probably hear ample birdsong. And we just wanted to check in and kind of recalibrate on where we're at with the third season of the podcast. That's right, Lauren, and welcome, Shannon. Well, thank you, Dave. Thank you, Lauren. It's a beautiful day to be here with you both. So we wanted to have Shannon included in this conversation because he has been our fearless sound guru, in-house musician, editor, and story crafter. So welcome. Thank you. It's been an amazing ride. We've all been on mm-hmm. two seasons and uh, entering the third. That's good because I haven't actually seen you guys a lot through the whole COVID period. We haven't seen you for a long time, but I get to hear you speaking to amazing people all the time. So it feels like I get to hang out and connect, even though you're not present in my days. I guess that's really at the heart of the podcast and why we wanted to create Water People as a podcast to really solidify relationships that we have with people existing and new with water people around the world to gather as many of us have done in the past, around a campfire, after a day where you're just exhausted from paddling or sailing and your mind is fully soft from all the blueness you've been absorbing. And I guess our story with the podcast is that we've all been friends for a long time. And so I wanted to talk a little bit about that and sort of set the scene for where this podcast grew from? Well, I, I know that uh, when Shannon and I first met, which was many, many moons ago, <laughs> <laughs> and our grey hair uh, can attest to that, but we were, gee whiz, it was probably, you know, somewhere between 15 to 20 years ago. Uh, and that was a time in, in life where essentially we were just, you know, deep diving really into music and surfing. I remember when we first met, it was just so fun and so enlightening to play between those two worlds. And for me, I know at that time I was real, you know, corpo boy, pro surfer, rat, travelling the world surfing and having adventures and stuff. But I actually felt quite lonely 
I was travelling with people I didn't really uh, align with in a lot of ways. And, and then when we met up, it was just like, oh, man, you're willing to go anywhere in any conversation and have such a creative and curious mind for, for just fun conversations, just like willing to go anywhere. And then also back it up with actual practice and effort in those things. So it's like we'd talk ideas and stuff, but then we'd go, oh, well, let's fill a house filled with people who play music and surf and let's hang out and let's record it all. And then, mm. oh, maybe we can film some of it and, and, you know, do projects that would actually turn into something. And, mm. and I remember that just being so meaningful for me at a time where I'd come from a very one-dimensional pro-surfing world where you basically, you have to be singular in your focus to make it as a top technical surfer. Uh, so anyway, that was just, I, I remember the start of that feeling so great and just feeling like, oh, I found my people. I remember that feeling. It was just really neat. And then we, a million things have happened since then and now and lots of conservation efforts and different things that we've done but you were together in japan for yeah. making the cove yep lots in of in africa making yeah making music and surfing for um thomas campbell's movie yep the present and that, that all seeded from the life like liquid recording too when we did that yeah filling the house that's right because thomas just thomas rocked up dropped in and he's that's checked right. it all out and met everyone and we were doing like live improvised soundtracks to George Greeno's Innermost Limits of Pure Fun and Coming of the Dawn and That's the crew right. from King Tide and Ochre and Ash Grumwald and everyone rocked up and then Thomas was there going, wow, yeah, checked it out. And, yeah. yeah, and I know that like the opportunity to fill the spaces, so it's like fill the space between surfing with music is just unbelievable. Like That's just one of the funnest things in the world. And then you have kids and they become like the funnest thing in the world between surfing and all that sort of stuff. Mm -hmm. but, but at that time, it was like, you know, that's what all we were all obsessed with. It was diving into altered states through elongated improvised music, mm. you know, like really just playing for hours and, uh, and in a way that was such a mimic or echo of the surfing experience being for hours and often in quiet corners of the world and away from human-dominated lineups and everything. And, and I think just naturally from that sort of starting place, it's led to so many friendships and encounters with really interesting people. And I feel like that's why when we started the Water People podcast idea, it was all such a great fit, especially with your audio skills, Shannon, um, but also because we know that feeling of what it feels like when you actually get to bump into someone when you're travelling or just anywhere at the beach or whatever and feel illuminated by the encounter or the conversation with them. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's, there's, real, there's something really valuable about that mm. and that also we've all felt that thing we've spoken a lot of, which is that those varied conversations and, and inquiries were not included in the surfing media or mirror culture at all. It was, again, very singular focused on the high performance part of surfing. So it was like, oh, there's so much room. We can share so many of these stories mm. because no, there's really hardly anywhere that's sharing anything but the pro surfing story. At that time, but we were all delving back into the history of surfing and the old tracks magazines and the old 
a lot of the old media in the 70s and that idyllic period where a lot of those things were happening back then and a lot of these movements actually were a massive part of the surfing culture and it seems to have gone through a phase where that was less that's prevalent. Right. Yeah, exactly. like, oh, where's all that aspect gone? Like, let's, bring, let's delve into those parts that were really inspiring exactly. to us. Yeah. I remember when I first met you, Shannon, I was on a student exchange studying just inland from Byron Bay and a mutual friend of ours, AC, whom I met out surfing the pass on a teeny tiny Shindonesian day, gave me a ride from the surf one day because I was a student. I had no car. I was taking buses about 45 minutes from inland, getting uh, dropped off at the bus station and then walking back and forth. But I met him. He introduced me to you, Dave. This was in 2006. And then one night he was like, hey, do you want to come full moon surfing at the pass? And I didn't know, but we were meeting up with the two of you. And unbeknownst to me, everyone else was tripping on acid. (laughs) I was not. I just thought it was unbelievable cosmic full moon experience. We were slip sliding on these tiny little wavelets right toward the glimmering path of the full moon that was starting to set over the mountains. Um, And it was just so beautiful. And I remember that feeling of being like, oh my gosh, this is incredible. And I also had that sense of like, these are my people, but I don't live here. (laughs) And I'm going to have to go back to my home university and finish my degree. But I had this sense of not wanting to miss out on the, the thoughtfulness, the funniness, the beauty of this community of people that I was just sort of getting to taste. Um, Yeah, so I very much had that sort of similar experience. And I wasn't even on acid. (laughs) They were magic times. You didn't need to be there. (laughs) The moonlight up the face of those waves was beautiful. Mm. It was amazing. Mm. It was great with it as well, though. (laughs) (laughs) No comment. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well, I, you know, I can, I remember those times as... Uh, just times of curiosity and and they really don't feel that different to now. Mm. You know, it's just actually I I feel clearer now, probably because we're not on acid, but I feel clearer now about so many other things in life that in my 20s I wasn't so clear about. And I think that's one of the unsung aspects of growing older that you don't hear so much about perhaps when you're in your 20s, but like mm. just clarity around what it is you are going to spend your time on, where your energies should lie. And I feel really grateful and actually look back and go, oh, this is a very natural point to have gotten to right now where mm. there's a balance of copious amounts of surfing, growing food, raising families, being with our loved ones, but also along with that very localised type of life, tying into the broader surfing organism that we've grown up and grown out of Mm. and that it's really nice to be able to have the conversations we have with this techno device here that looks like a bizarre sea urchin meeting a fuzzy cat crossed with an octopus and... But this little Slash div- your hair. Yeah, and Shannon's. <laughs> and yours when we wake up. No, you look beautiful when you wake up. Um, salt and pepper. 
But you know, like this, this little device here that we're speaking into is that conduit to so many more friendships and relationships being mm. created. Mm. And it's really wonderful. And I think it's as much as I poo-poo technology and don't want to participate in it, this is one of the, the few ways that I feel is, is really healthy and does actually create some connections with people, like, you know, that line that we're... we're there's connection everywhere but no actual mm. deeper connections with each other. And, yeah. and, and But I think this really can achieve that. And so the last two seasons of chatting with people, I feel has been great for us but has gone out into other circles and ripples back to us by people just paddling up and saying, hey, man, I really, really got a lot out of listening to Albie's story. I had no idea the depths of his life and those challenges that he'd overcome. Or Hayley Talbot is a legend. And a lot of people have yeah. spoken about Hayley and, and so many other people. Uh, and to see that there's been some meaningful moments for people beyond just that which was our own private moment of speaking mm. with people really makes it feel wonderful. Yeah, it's been such a connective experience getting to, you know, sit at the feet of people that we respect and admire and have the privilege of asking questions, but then get to connect with people that we don't know through their enthusiasm for those conversations or suggestions or just other leads for stories. That's been one of my favorite parts of this process is we welcome everyone, please, to like send us a message, send us some feedback about what we can do better or you know anything like that. But we really welcome suggestions for future interviews as well. And we've gotten quite a few, including some in this season. We've pursued some leads that have been suggested and we've gotten to make connections in ways that wouldn't have been possible before. So yeah, please feel free to send those recommendations our way and, and reach out because we really do feel like this is a community and the fun of it is getting to, to interact and to share, even if it's through technology. We've had a couple people asking when we're starting the podcast again because we haven't recorded an episode for about six months, which might leave some people feeling anxious about not keeping up with the amount of content that we quote should be producing to keep up with the inhuman pace of modern life <laughs> which makes me think about the juxtaposition between the modern idea of content creating visual audio imagery for people to consume and the idea of being personally content you know they're spelled the same way they're I guess they're Antonyms and homonym, they look the same, but they mean basically the opposite. And so our approach with the podcast is to respect the periodic wave-like nature of life and to pulse forward with full enthusiasm and, and really have so much um, love for each time we sit down and have a conversation instead of feeling a sense of rushing and obligation to create something for the sake of creating. And mm. I think that probably a lot of people can relate to that. Mm. Mm. And to give Shannon's ears a break from us. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Life comes in seasons. Seasons are great. Yeah. yeah. It's nice to come back fully recharged and excited. And we usually take a break around the, the end of the year, which is nice to connect with family and 
Yes. Have we got it around the wrong way, though? I was just realising we're doing all this right as autumn into winter comes where there's a lot of surf. May is a really hard month to uh, <laughs> put away enough studio time. The surf's been so good. Yeah, mm. but it's always, you know, for us, we're all stoked no matter what yeah. the ocean's like, but, um, but maybe there's a, mm. a review of that to, to happen. But the seasonal aspect of it is is so lovely. I love that you've both put it that way and that there's a, an actual moment of longing and just like that anticipation when you're running to the water because mm. you're so pumped and, or, and you know the wind's offshore and there's a chance of swell and everything but you can't quite see the waves yet. You're running through the, the sand dunes, through under the trees and how that feeling of anticipation is so exciting. I actually remember Derek Hines saying years ago when we were on a long, long-winded travel trip to get to a surf spot, he was saying that that was his favourite bit, more so even than the waves, was the mm. anticipation. And that that goes on for sometimes days. Maybe that's why he was making us travel for days on end <laughs> to get to a, <laughs> a measly wave. Yeah. <laughs> Pleasure delay. But it's interesting because it opens up that thing where people get that mm. um, kind of, you know, well, we hope, get that excitement for what is to come mm. Mm. and there's some great chats already yeah i loved hearing cyrus and the conversation you guys have with cyrus and him also reflecting back on the process of making his under the sun film which we got to make mm. the soundtrack for mm. and that whole process hearing his perspective and him reflecting back on that time and the process of that film coming together and his take on the surfing bubble or the surfing mm. industry versus the surfing experience at that moment. It was just really insightful. And the reminder, because he also started talking about the Derby House mm. in <laughs> California at Garth's place. And going back to what you were saying earlier about long jams and our exploration of improvised music and surfing, I have a really fond memory of you sitting with John Peck one afternoon and it was on one of your... Tuesdays where you weren't speaking and you guys weren't eating and you just sat down and started I think you started with just omming and then it progressed into toning and then it was jamming and then it just was like six hours straight of <laughs> just drifting between meditation and music making and combining the both together and I've never really experienced anything like it. I kept thinking, oh, they're winding up now. But then it was just <laughs> Yes, we were, we were winding up. We kept winding up. And then up. there was resurge. It was like listening to, like, cicadas or something in the summer, you know, when they kind of had reprieves and then they come back even stronger. <laughs> I'm glad you clarified that, Shannon, because I was wondering if that was hyperbole, the six-hour music playing session. I often have many questions looming in my mind when we're getting to have these chats, and I don't get to ask most of them and I'd forgotten to ask you that one so that was clarified. Yeah, I talk a lot of shit but there's some things I don't, I just will not embellish and that is six hour long musical moments with John Peck. There was, was something else. <laughs> Everything else I can make up but yeah well that was it and also it's just that season thing too you know that was just a time where how great that we got to do that you know mm. let's try to do that now with some three-year-olds running around and Exactly. You know, it would be a selfish thing for me to do. So, I wanted to chat through some of the themes that are emerging so far in this season. 
For me, the major thread that's starting to reveal itself has to do with the legacy of surfing's colonialist ethic. Um, and that starts with Cyrus's discussion. He is such a fascinating character in the surfing world. I think he's an incredible mirror and such a gifted storyteller. And he spoke so enthusiastically about his experience of being a professional surfer and a filmmaker and what that means in terms of contributing to objectifying, consuming, and then really selling these places, objectifying these cultures that we visit, um, and how that made him want to change the trajectory of his life in some ways. Yeah. And so I was interested to ask the two of you, in the conversation, Cyrus starts this explanation. About, he doesn't finish it, but it ends up being a question that I think is worth asking, and that is, in having lived a life where objectifying the places that we visit has been part of your realities in terms of surf filmmaking and photography and documenting the cultures along the way in ways that maybe could be done more respectfully. Maybe not in some instances, but I'm sure you've had this experience of maybe not giving full thought and care to uplifting the places we go to. Anyway, in your experience of um, being part of the colonial surfing tendency, what have you learned? Well, with that conversation with Cyrus, he mentions, you know, like wave mining and stuff like that and extracting things from places uh, for film and for the photos of, of advertising campaigns for more stuff mm. that we really don't need. So, you know, all the, the fancy gear to go surfing and all that kind of stuff. And, and it's a really valid thing to say and a valid area to investigate because the surfing organism for the however many last few decades of it being hyper-commercialised and commodified has just been this, like, steam train just pushing forward. Everyone's working so hard just to try to fit within basically a system that's forcing people to work so hard. And so lots of things, lots of moments where we could do better are just railroaded. Mm. And so that means like, you know, you, know, you go to Indo, for example, and people have been going to Indonesia for surfing for a very long time. Albi took people, Rusty Miller, one of our great friends from home and Steve Cooney, uh, way back in the day, decades and decades ago, and shot pictures of Uluwatu, and it was in Morning of the Earth, one of the most celebrated culturally deep pieces of art in our culture. But essentially, that was, you know, taking pictures of a place that has then led to a hyper-tourism situation and pressure on that place that has just completely altered the um, course of history in Bali. Uh, and then you fast forward and it, it took, what, 30, 40 years for something like SurfAid to be born. You know, a group that was essentially just a surfing doctor going there, seeing that people were really struggling on these outer islands and he started to do something about it. And that is a wonderful, healthy expression of surfing going somewhere and, and helping out. But it took quite a long time to get there. And there are so many of those stories happening that are much quieter, that don't have the 
profile that SurfAid has is lots of surfers doing great things around the world for other people and for places mm. and other animals. And again, that's why we have these conversations so that those people, their work can be shared. You know, people like the, the other person we just recorded with, Taki Gold, working in his home country of Liberia to better the standard of living, quality of life for uh, women there. And those stories are, are really embedded within surfing culture, but don't typically get a lot of airtime. And that's what makes what we're doing, I think, more pointed and, and inspires us to get stuck into proper stories because they hopefully can lead to more support to those sort of initiatives and those sort of efforts, you know, to offset that colonialism that you're talking about. Mm. Speaking of Sofade and Taki, I can't help but mention the sort of foundational seed of inclusivity that was really my, well, both of our, all three of our goals in putting the podcast together, and that is creating a space, I mean, basically building on what you just said, Dave, that that is a place to invite and include and uplift voices who have traditionally been left out of the dominant surfing narrative and for me that means you know in a practical sense that means each season we try to include about 50 percent men and 50 percent women's voices and i have to say last season we um got one review that really stuck with me and that was someone saying we we haven't been inclusive enough of people of color so i've really taken that to heart and and i hope we can do better in the future to try to find those stories that are, yeah, provocative and from people that haven't been included in the fold, LGBTQI plus folks and people of color and, and elders and young people. We haven't really spoken with any young people yet. Yeah, so I just wanted to shift that question over to you, Shannon. What, do you have any reflections on the colonialist surfing ethic and how it has shaped your feeling, your relationship to surfing or surf culture or community? Yeah, I just was thinking then about what you were saying and realising that the surf media, right from the get-go, the people who are in control of the media have really shaped the stories that we get and the stories that we experience and therefore the stories that we tell. But all these stories are best heard from the people themselves. Mm. And I think I love this podcast because... Every single person we speak to, they get to share their story and mm. we get to hear their story from their perspective in a long-form context. Mm. And the more we can speak to people from all over the world of every age, of every gender, of every nationality, of every different continent and place, the better. I just want to hear more stories from more people from them personally. That's yeah. so true. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and, and for me, what feels so beautiful is that to widen the circle of what it means to be a surfer is to actually return surfing to its rightful lineage as developed in Polynesia of surfing being for everyone. It really was. I mean, there was some hierarchy from, you know, commoners and ali'i or royalty, but surfing welcomed everyone, young and old, all genders, and hearing the breadth of stories from within modern surfing culture and how diverse and textured those stories are 
helps me realize how incredibly narrow the lens through which we've seen surfing has become in the last, you know, 50, 60, 70 years and how that's just a construct and we can change it. And, and hopefully through the podcast, mm-hmm. we can be part of fleshing out um, and returning to what surfing is. And that is a gift for everyone. Yeah. And I like that you said the construct and and that really it's sort of naturally deconstructing now anyway. Like you look at the surf industry, what really is it? You know, it's nothing like what it was in the 90s and early 2000s where we were all being so spoon-fed from the big surf three companies essentially and then all the other ones scrapping around them. Uh, and all the films and all the material that was being put out, all the surf magazines, every, it was just a full-on steam train of escapism. It was always just escapism because I remember uh, when I was coming into my period of being a, a free-surfing guy and trying to write things of a, of a uh, sort of alarming conservation nature, it was nearly impossible to get those things printed and put in surf magazines that all just wanted to be about having a good time and escaping mm-hmm. the world, you know? And so... It is a wonderful thing now that those companies have folded and it's wonderful because most of them are public. It's not just, it's not some struggling family business that has gone, you know, A over T. It's, it's this terrible systemic thing of a company going public, losing all of its conscience basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then now they've all just done the typical capitalist thing of devouring each other. And so that's all dissipated. Then we've got what magazine's left? Surfers gone, you know. In Australia, we still somehow have tracks, Surfing Life and Surfing World. <laughs> I guess that speaks to how much people love surfing in Australia. Mm-hmm. But, but all those things have, have been naturally deconstructing themselves of late. And I'm far more localised, cottage industry style opportunity is here for us, mm. which is really exciting. And so, it can be confronting too. I mean, I think in many facets of our culture right now, we're experiencing an erosion of a shared sense of truth and a shared story. And surfing can be this completely superfluous, completely selfish thing, or, or I should say, and it can be this recentering, realigning, reconnecting experience and I think we all share that sense that when the world feels really chaotic we have this toolkit of being in the water and reconnecting with ourselves with the living world with our community to have those meaningful conversations that can reconstruct this shared sense of truth and what matters Um, and, and I feel like that's what we're here to do through the podcast is to share some of those conversations. And, you know, despite the chaos of what's playing on the radio, on the news, through Instagram feeds, we have this very real lived experience that we can pull ourselves back into to reground, recenter, um, and to remember. Mm. Yeah, totally. And also just then when you were both talking about the many facets of surfing uh, and hearing directly from people, like, listen to way back when we first did the recordings with um, Kimmy Werner and Mark Healy in Hawaii, and you think about 
their interpretations of having a water-centric life and then zoom forward and someone I think of what we were just sort of touching on there about diversity is uh, Nick Zanella and the story of surfing in China and him just an Italian guy from the Adriatic which is where my dad's side of my family comes from and it's like a pond it's like two inch <laughs> it's somehow smaller than floridian surf line but <laughs> we're the most enthusiastic surfers <laughs> yeah, totally. adriatic surfers most, and floridians yeah the most desperate too. and <laughs> and you know and that guy went to china and found surfing in the deep timeline of chinese story and history and so that coupled with the stories in liberia and and so many more around the world show how i feel we, that we've been able to benefit from speaking directly with these people and realising, wow, surfing is everywhere. It has been everywhere for a long time. Mm. Places have lost it or been forced to lose it through colonialism mm. uh, and industrialization, and now are rediscovering it. Mm. And what's it going to look like? And fantastically, there are some amazing examples of it looking compassionate and looking at diversity of culture and beliefs uh, as a natural part of surfing. East Britain t- goes to Iran, has women surfing in Iran. Like we've got, we've got so much diversity happening in the surfing organism already. We don't, it's not like we need to start making it happen. It's just naturally growing out of everywhere. Like any natural system. Yeah. Like any natural system. It's like a, the beach is a garden and it just grows so many amazing, amazing colours and shapes. And we're just, yeah, it's, we're just on that little uh, edge where we can, you know, be conduits to some of those stories, which is really lovely. Speaking of edges, that makes me think of Jeff Lawton, who we spoke to last season who's a masterful permaculturalist and we have personally gotten into studying permaculture quite a lot um, and I was so excited this season to chat with Dr. Isaiah Walker about ahupua'a which is an ancient Hawaiian sustainable food science that predates permaculture by you know <laughs> thousands of years <laughs> and so I just yeah I was excited to to experience that ancient connection between food and surfing, both of which I'm deeply passionate about and hungry for all the time, but also the fact that it was the brilliance of working with a landscape, working with water systems and creating an abundance of food that allowed for surfing culture to flourish in the first place. Literally, there would be no surfing culture as we know it today probably had the ancient Hawaiians not devised this brilliant food science system that allowed for leisure time that they decided to fill with sport and play and art and culture and surfing. Mm. So yeah, another one of the themes that we're exploring this season further in depth has to do with food, food choices, permaculture, and, of course, paying homage to the brilliance of ancient Hawaiians and their many contributions to our culture. Mm. And I love Jeff Lawton's observation of patterns and pattern literacy, mm. which actually brings me to a question I wanted to ask you, David. Oh, no. <laughs> 
since I met, man. <laughs> since we met, um, yeah, almost 20 years ago, uh, one of my favourite aspects of surfing with you is watching what you see versus what I see, like where you decide to sit in a lineup <laughs> versus where I decide to sit. So I think, okay, I'm, I'm going to sit here because I'm seeing these ones come through and I'd like to take off there. Then you'll just paddle straight past where I am and go somewhere where my little radar of danger man is going you don't do that don't do that and you're just (laughs) going to sit there and sure enough A because you're I suppose a much more skillful surfer than I am but one time I asked you about it and you said it's familiarity and is that do you think related (laughs) to pattern literacy well if it was familiarity I'm probably I was probably full of shit I was just making something up when I said that but if it was taking pure logical route the Vulcan route if you were if it was just familiarity, then the oldest surfers in our surf communities would be in the spot every time for every swell at every lineup. Well, look at Rusty Miller at Lennox. And he is, but <laughs> he, yeah, that's true. So maybe it is familiar. Maybe I wasn't completely full of it then I said familiarity. But, but that thing of um, full immersion, and I see it when... Jeff's in the garden or on his property and he's looking at the space that we're sitting or standing in and truly fully there with his attention. Like every little blade of grass, what type of fern, what bird is singing like that beautiful bird just did, where it's sitting, uh, every little thing is noted and because of that, he is able to cultivate food and green the desert in Jordan and do all these crazy things that people think are crazy but essentially are just really uh, displays of specific attention, very specific attention. And I think with surfing, reading water is exactly the same. Every like little ripple that's bouncing off, every bit of water that's got a bit of sand stirred up from the bottom can tell you that there's motion under there and if it's clear out wide there's a back current there's all those little things that are uh, adding to that opportunity to take off in a spot where others might not feel that is appropriate or whatever may I add a layer yeah I wouldn't dare to speak on your behalf but what I have observed with both Jeff and yourself Um, in addition to full awareness, is time. The development of a relationship over time, it's that 10,000 hours concept Mm. where you, after spending 10,000 hours or more at something, you become an expert. You build up your sensitivity and your skill to a certain level that makes you masterful. And I think that that's true. I mean, having had surfing been your life and your livelihood has given you the advantage of devoting as much time as a human possibly could devote to watching, observing, and being on, in, and under the water. Um, And that can't be underestimated. It really has been the privilege of time, in my my observation. Yeah, I feel like, though, that is true. There is also the other aspect of when someone comes to surfing new, like look at Caroline Marks. She mm. was pretty late to surfing as a kid. She was into horses and then just went nuts 
and just had such a radical focus. And now she's one of the most amazing female surfers in the world at such a young age, like the youngest in history on tour doing all these things. So there's something else too that transcends linear time and putting the hours in as well. Mm. So I agree with you and I say also there is another factor and it is the, it is, yeah, deep attention. Um, and I, I feel fortunate that like through our time together and surfing and you perhaps seeing that happen with me is that I had a mentor as a kid, Dick Van Stralen especially, who was uh, so instructive about paying attention and that when we were in the water sometimes as a kid at Burley, he would be telling me to look at the clouds, the fish, the colours, the patterns, the sounds, everything, and that there would be more enjoyment because of doing that. So I don't know, maybe I just really took that to heart and I'm glad I did because it's, it's worked out amazing for me. Um, and it's applicable to lots of other things. And a willingness to lose some bark. Like, you know, you've got stitches in your leg right now from copping your fin uh, two days ago at this little spot that we're surfing, which isn't a huge wave, but is a very thick wave. And I just got stitches out of my foot just before we got here. And the last time we were in this location, I blew my eardrum and hacked my head open with my board. Um, and so you've got to have like a willingness, an acceptance that you're going to lose some skin. You've got to have skin in the game, as they say, and, and that that's part of it too. You know, like the vulnerability in surfing is that you're going to get shredded. You're going to cop it on the rocks sooner or later. Sometimes your board's going to hit you. That's just part of the deal. If, if you want to have those experiences, the deep experiences within surfing, and the same could be said... Um, for having conversations with people, opening up to, to pour your heart out like Kimmy Werner did for the very first conversation of water people, mm. tearing up and, and my skin's just fully goosebumps thinking about how she was like, oh man, I'm going to go there, I'm going to talk with Dave and Lauren like this and, and she did and it's meant a lot to a lot of people. Or Albie And to me, and she, I mean, her, her willingness to be vulnerable validated this whole project, mm. you know, to sit down for our very first recording and have Kimmy Werner, this incredible, skilled water woman who is just remarkable in the water, be so willing to open up and to go there and, and to dive deep on land with us, with people she doesn't know especially well, was just, it was just permission to keep asking these questions of people we respect and admire. Yeah. And that leads us to this season and hoping that that feeling continues, mm. of course, in varied ways as it always will because everyone's got their unique story. But essentially, it is that willingness to be like, oh, okay, I'm going to say something personal here, mm. but it will help perhaps with somebody else who's going through a similar thing or... Uh, at least it'll be a great story. But that that really is the feeling with it, isn't it? Like afterwards when we push the little red button off and we we bounce around trying to move the energy in our bodies because we're like, oh, wow, that was amazing, that was amazing. Mm. Um, that's the feeling and that's what we hope people feel also in their own unique way when they listen is that that little spark mm. has been passed and uh, what is that? And means something. What is that spark? 
What is that um, transference of energy? How do you articulate that? You know what it is. It's the barriers, it's the armor, it's the calcified layers that we have on ourselves mm. being dissolved. Mm. And the emotion when it stirs in our inner ocean pours out like a wave and pours into whoever we're with. And that can happen with us just sitting together. And somehow it can happen through technology, these microphones into your earbuds or whatever. And and that washes in and it's that freshness, I reckon. It's that feeling of a new wave washing into your world and stirring things up. Isn't that the power of story? Mm. I mean, that's the, that's the power of story, to dissolve those boundaries, to emotionalize information, to create context where we didn't have understanding to, to connect us across time, space, and culture. Yeah, it's, it's so powerful. And, and to be privy to the conversation. Mm. Like when I'm sitting in the studio listening to you guys speak with someone, I'm at the table. And so everyone has a seat at the table with you and your guests, which is, this is an incredible thing. Like I feel really lucky to be privy to those conversations with the people that you do speak to. Well, we feel lucky to have you editing the podcast to make us sound less ridiculous than we probably do <laughs> yeah, the live a lot recording. Of work. It's a lot of work. <laughs> I have a press record. <laughs> Imagine that. Oh my gosh, that would be... <laughs> that would be unbelievable. <laughs> On behalf of myself, Lauren Hill, and my partner in rhyme, Dave Rastovich, thanks for making the time to listen with us. Special thanks always to our sound engineer and in-house musician, Shannon Saul Carroll. If you have a spare moment, please consider leaving a review of the podcast or sharing an episode with a friend. Both help us to keep the podcast going and find the best stories from our global community of water people. We'll be continuing today's conversation on Instagram, where we're at Water People Podcasts. You can find every episode and some extras on our website, waterpeoplepodcast.com.